So today's daf is Tetvav in Sukkah. We are on the bottom of Tetvav, actually the Mishnah there, which is uh, almost to the bottom of the uh, of the page, about uh, eight lines from there, from the bottom. So Mishnah says, If a person uses sort of like uh, skewers to, uh, to to go across the top of the roof of the Sukkah, or Aruchot Mita, or he uses the legs of a bed, to go across the, the, the go across sukkah, and obviously these themselves are not uh, sukkah are not tzach that can be used for um, used normally because they are uh, they're mekabel tumah, but you're using it to support the tzachim yesh revach benehem kimotan If there is a space in between these non kosher sticks that are going across that is equal to the amount that is in between. In other words, for every one stick going across of non kosher, you have a sp- the equal uh, volume of empty space, and then another stick, and then empty space, and another stick, empty space, and then in that empty space, you fill it with real schach, so then you're going to be okay, right? If a person, as we saw before, digs into a pile of, let's say, leaves or whatever it is, and makes and tunnels in a sukkah from there, it's not going to be considered a sukkah, and the reason we said was because schach wasn't placed on it. It has to be, it has to be, it has to be that you placed schach on top, and not that the, the covering came to be in a backward Manner that you dug the you tunneled in and you were left with a with with a, with a roof. So the Gemara says. So seemingly our Mishnah contradicts a, te- a teaching of Rav Huna instead of Rav Yosho in another context. We've seen this actually this discussion already in um, in Masechet Eruvin that the question is we know that uh, that as long as you, you that generally speaking you have to have. Omed uh, Merubela You have to have more standing wall. You have to have more wall than you have open space. What if it's 50 50? Exactly 50 50, right? So then what, then what happens then? In other words, is the halacha that you need more, uh, more standing than, uh, more substance than space? Or is the idea that you can't have, you can't have more space than substance? In other words, if the idea is that you can't have more space than substance, so if it's 50 50, you're okay. But if the rule is that you have to have more substance than space, so then exactly 50 50 is not okay. Right, so that's that's and and here we had Rav Papa said it's okay to have exactly fifty fifty, meaning as long as you don't have more space than than uh, solid, you're okay. Uh, if you, meaning if you have let's say a wall made of uh, sticks put in the ground, spaced between you know the space between each one is is a small space, right? So you 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 count them up and you have exactly fifty percent is enclosed, meaning there's solid, and 50% is space. So Rav Papa would say, that's okay, because you don't have more space than solid. According to Rav Yoshua, no, because you have to have more solid than space, okay? Now, the, the, our Mishnah seems to suggest that, uh, that, that Rav that Huna, the son of Rav Yoshua, is wrong. Because our Mishnah says that if it's exactly, in other words, the space between the non-kosher shachach that's going across the top of the sukkah is exactly the same, as the non-kosher, the, as the non-kosher schach itself, because it says, Im yesh kimotan, if the space in between them is equal to them, in other words, it's exactly 50-50, then it's kasher. And Rav Vonad, the son of Rav Yoshua, is saying it wouldn't be kasher. So how could, what is he going to do with our Mishnah? What it means is, it means that a person doesn't put exactly 
50-50, a person puts a little bit more than that so that it comes, in, in other words, the space in between these staves that are going across the top of the sukkah is not exactly equal to the, to the, uh, the, the number, to the volume or the space taken up by the non-kosher schach. It's a little bit more really because a person wants to have the ability to take the kosher schach on and off with ease and put it in with ease, take it off with ease. So it's going to be a little bit more. So since it's going to be a little bit more... Um, that's why you actually technically have more kosher schach than non-kosher because it's not exact. Isn't it possible to be exact at that 50-50 exactly? Right? We're talking about a person in the normal case, basically. It's not that it's, uh, it's, not that it's impossible to have exactly 50-50, but our Mishnah is talking about the regular case where a person puts a little bit more space in between so he can have a little bit more uh, schach, so the schach can come in and out of that space easily. Not that it's so tightly stuck in between each stave going across the top that it would be hard to get out. And then, of course, Rava comes along and says, Even if the person didn't do that, but in other words, another possibility is that, no, not that you put extra space, on, but that what you did was, if the sticks that were non-kosher schach, the poles that were non-kosher schach, were going one direction, right? You put your schach the other direction. And if it, so if they were going across the width of the sukkah, so then you put your kosher schach across the uh, length of the sukkah. And if they were going across the length of the sukkah, then you put your kosher schach across the width of the sukkah. Now, why is that important? Because that means that your schach is actually resting on and over, because it's crossing over whatever the non-kosher schach is, which means by definition, there's more of it. There's more kosher schach, because there's the kosher schach that's on top of the non-kosher, as well as the kosher schach that's filling each one of those holes. So it's going to be mevatel, it's going to nullify the non-kosher schach. There's going to be a majority of kosher schach in that case. Now, now the next thing that it said was Baruch talked about the legs of a bed being used for schach. So it says, This supports Rabbi Ami Bar He said that even if you use broken kelim, worn out kelim, we know that you're not allowed to use kelim in general. You're not allowed to use vessels because they're mekabel tumah. But what about broken ones, worn out ones that are no longer mekabel tumah because they have no use? So you see from this that you're allowed, you're not allowed to use even that kind of kelim because Rabbi Rabbi Ami Bar said that you couldn't do that because you might come to use an actual kelim that's still intact. So you see from our Mishnah, the fact that you can't use the legs of a bed, legs of a bed are broken legs of a bed. It means that the leg of the bed is broken. So it wouldn't be Mechabel Tumah anymore because it's no longer a, uh, a functioning uh, Kli. But still you're not allowed to use it because you might come to use a Kli. So that supports that idea. But the, but the only thing is, it could be, and it should say Rebi Barav. Right? It's like Rav Hanan Barav said, it might not be talking about just the legs of a bed stum. It might be talking about a larger piece. In other words, either because what you have in a bed is two long pieces, right? And two short pieces on the head and the foot. You have two short pieces and two long pieces of long, right? And so either you took two legs and the long board or you took two legs and the short board. In other words, you took one side of the four sides of the bed, including the legs and a panel. Right? So if that's the case, that would be a different story. We're not just talking about the legs of the bed anymore. We're talking about a piece that actually might have some utility because it's a section of the bed. Now, where did that statement come from that, that we should make a distinction between individual legs of a bed and a, and a piece of the bed, which is a more substantial piece? It was in the context of a different Mishnah that said, Rabbi Eliezer said that a bed only becomes tamay when it's totally put together. And 
and it can only be put in the mikveh when it's put together. You can't break apart the, 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 the bed and dip it into the mikveh if you're purifying a bed. And it, when it becomes tamay, it has to become tamay when the, when the bed is assembled. If it's disassembled, the pieces are non-functional. It can't become tamay in that condition. And the rabbi said, no, even if it's in pieces, it can become tamay and it can become taor. It, in pieces, it's still significant. But the question is, my evarim, my new. What are you talking about? Obviously, if, you, if it's totally broken into pieces, everyone agrees that would not, that's called shivrekele. It's broken. It's no longer a cleat. So what case are we talking about? Amrav Chana Rav, according to what it says in the previous pages to be Amrav Chana Rav, Arucha We're either talking about the long panel and two legs or the short panel and two legs. In other words, we're talking about an entire section of the bed that still has utility. It's not a broken piece. And that's why the rabbis and Rabbi Eliezer are arguing about it. Rabbi Eliezer is still dissatisfied and think that, thinks that that's not enough bedness to qualify as a kli. And the rabbis say, no, it does qualify as a kli. And what, what could you use it for? You could put it against the wall. In other words, if you want to make a makeshift kind of a seat, you could put it against the wall, this panel of the bed. Uh, it says, it's lakotel, right? You could put it uh, and, and, you could, um, and, and, and you could use it, right? And you could sit on it, and uh, and you, basically what you could do is you could make kind of a, you could put it, lean it against the wall, put it put it near the wall, and make like a seat out of it by putting ropes or something like that. Do they have a picture of it? Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay, yeah. You can you can use half of the bed, right? You can use half of the bed by using ropes to 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 uh, by putting against the wall, so it still has utility. It could still be a half of a bed. Actually, well, you could have to add a little bit to make it function, but it still is considered a significant item. And that would be, I guess, the machloket between Rabbi Eliezer and the Chachamim. That the Chachamim are saying that even so that the Rabbi Eliezer is saying that since you have to do a, an additional, you have to add something to make it functional, it's not really complete. And the Chachamim are saying no, it is complete because you would want that item for its own sake. So either way, that what that means is that. Uh, is that we um, we look at the uh, uh, we, we look at also what it's talking about that is pasul on top of the sukkah, not broken pieces of a bed. Maybe broken pieces of a bed would be allowed, um, uh, but uh, we're talking about an entire section of a bed. However, the halacha actually follows Rabbi Ami Bar Taviyomi that we don't use even worn out kelim that are no longer functional because you might come to make a mistake and use actual kelim. I don't know. I have to go to a big mikvah. Yeah, the big mikvah again. Yeah. Now, gufa. We go back to what we said before. If you use um, worn out kelim, it's no good. My kelim. What are we talking about? We're talking about. Um, fa- uh, basically cloths that have less than three by three tfachim left. What they would do is they would cut pieces like people sometimes do today. They take old shirt and they use it as a rag to clean things. Old towel, they make it into a cleaning thing. So they did that also. They would cut it into small pieces or, and it would wear out eventually and then they would throw it away. So a very small rag that's made, let's say, from some substance, something that is obviously gidule uh, karka would have to be something that grew out of the ground to even be considered. But the point, what? Yeah, like cotton, yeah. But now it's become, it's become worn out. It's, no, it's not functional anymore. It's less than three by three, right? So, which means that what? That uh, it's, not, it's not large enough to be used by, um, by, not by wealthy and not by the poor. In other words, nobody really is going to use such a small uh, rag anymore because it's, um, it's too small. And therefore, but he's saying that you still can't use it as schach because 
it is, um, and it's talking about three by three etzbaot, by the way. It's not talking about, it's not talking about tfachim, because I want to say shlosha. So it means three by three finger breadths. So it's, actually, it's this thing, finger, right? Right, so it's very small. So the point is that since it's not, it has no utility, you might have thought that it's lost its utility, and since it comes from material that comes from the ground, maybe you'd be able to use it as schach, and he's saying no, because you might come then to use something else that is a kli. There's a support of Rabbi These are different kinds of reeds that they would make mats out of afal pishenifchatu. Uh, if you have um, such mats that are made from these materials, even though they, be, they became worn out and they no longer have the measurement that they're mekabel tum'ah, which we learned in Masachet Kelim, different mats of different materials have different minimum sizes to be mekabel tum'ah, you still can't use them since they started out as mekabel tum'ah, you can't use them. If you have a, we're going to learn more about this later in the Gemara, but basically a, a, a mat, a reed mat that is a, uh, that is, um, a, a large one, you can use for schach, but if it's small, you can't use it. And the reason is because the large ones were usually not used for sitting or sleeping on. They were usually used for schach or some other purpose like that. The small ones were usually used as a mat to sit on. Um, or to sleep on, and therefore they are considered a kli and they can't be used. Rabbi Eliezer says, no, even the large one you cannot use because it is mekabel tumah, because really even that kind of a mat, it's only a difference in, in quantitative size, and therefore we're not going to make that distinction. We're going to say that that's also mekabel tumah, and that a person might be a large person. They want a bigger space. They want a bigger, uh, a bigger mat to sleep on. It's still primarily made for sleeping, and that's why you're not allowed to use it on top of the, uh, on top of the sukkah. Um, and that's made for schach, but it's literally made for schach. We're talking about things that we're, it, the Gemara is going to talk about it later. What are you when you don't know when it has no defined purpose? What do you assume about it? What do you assume about it? In other words, let's say you went to Home Goods or some store that sells like uh, or Bed Bath and Beyond. I don't know, and they sell some reed mat. I don't think they do, but let's say they did. So you would assume that probably it's for I don't know the bathroom floor or maybe it's for uh, taking a nap, uh, you know, or something like that. They're on it on the floor, you know. You, that's what you're going to assume. You're not going to assume it's for covering a roof. Right? So they, they're saying, what do you assume they're made for stam? And then, now, if they're explicitly made for schach, we're going to see, the Gemara will discuss it later on. When it's explicitly made for schach, for sure it's good, and that's why our reed mats that we get, or bamboo mat, or whatever, yeah, definitely good. Right, right, the fencing. So that's, so that, right, so when it comes to that, to use that for schach could be a question because it's designed, actually, to be used as a wall. It's not designed to be used for schach. That would be a good example. Now, a chotid, is that good or no good? It, it would be a problem because it's made specifically for other things other than schach. If it's, it, I mean, it could be used for many purposes. Right. Right, but since it's a kli, it's not about disrespect. It's about, it's mikabil tumaf. It's made to be a wall. It's made for a kli. So then it's, if it's made to be a kli, then you can't use it as schach because it's made for a kli. It has to be either not made for anything, meaning it's just uh, branches, or it has to be something that was made for schach. But if it's something which is made for uh, made for sleeping, like it's saying here, a, a mat that's made out of purely out of things that are good for schach, but it's made for sleeping on the ground, and so it's a kli for personal use. You can't just use it as schach, not because of respect, because it's mikabel tumah, because it's a kli, as opposed to something that's that's just made for covering, which is not a kli. It wouldn't be considered a kli because it's not a, a kli. The definition of a kli is something that is used for a human action, like sleeping, cooking, fixing stuff, and so on. 
Anyway, a chotet begadish. A person digs a tunnel into the pile of leaves. Amar avuna alosh anu alosh enu sham chalal tevach meshach shiva. Avayesh sham chalal tevach meshach shiva. Harizesh sukkah. He's making a distinction here. He's saying. If this pile of leaves had an airspace inside, even before you started tunneling, right? Let's say this pile of leaves then it had a tefach of height, seven tefachim in, right? So there was a little tunnel in there already, and all you did was you opened up the rest of it to make it livable for you. You made it higher. You made it ten tefachim high because it would have to be ten tefachim high to be a sukkah. But it already had a tefach, then it would be kasher. If a person digs into a pile of whatever it is, material to make a sukkah, or is it sukkah? It could be a sukkah. Didn't we learn in the Mishnah that it's not a sukkah? This supports what Rav Huna said, that there is a distinction. That if there was already, now what's the difference? Because if you think about it like this, what's the problem with tunneling to make the sukkah? Because you didn't put schach. In other words, it, did, it wasn't schach before. Now that you're going in, you're making the schach by making the walls. You're not actually separately making the schach. But if from the beginning, when the leaves were piled up, there was an airspace, so there was always an airspace of a tefach under there. Okay, there was always an airspace of a tefach. So that, that pile on top was always functioning to cover that tefach of airspace. So now all you're doing is making it a little bit taller. So you didn't make it into a covering through your digging. It was already a covering, just of less space. Only a tefach in height and seven tefachim in length, right? And you're expanding it to make it ten tefachim in height. But there, it, was, it would, was, would be considered an ohel for other halachic purposes. For example, if there was a p- part of a dead body under there and some other, and some other vessel under there, it would become tamay because there's an ohel of a tefach. And ohel is defined as covering of only a tefach of, of height. So therefore, since it's considered oil already, your expansion of it isn't a problem. So this would be an example. For instance, this would suggest that let's say you had a sukkah that you made and it was only eight, it was only eight tefachim tall, right? I'm just giving an example of how this could be lemasa. It was too short. Now, obviously that's already too short, but you know, it's already so short, it's hard to imagine. But let's say at eight tefachim, you wouldn't have to according to this. And, and you put the walls and now you already put the schach on top. According to this, you wouldn't have to now take the schach off and extend the walls and then put the schach back on. Because since when you put the schach back on, it's serving to cover an area where it's considered an oil, all you have to do is extend the walls and make them a little taller. Put, support them on something, make them a little taller. But you wouldn't have to redo the sukkah. It's not considered that you made the covering out of making the walls. Okay, It's considered instead that it was a covering already and you just had to make it higher. You just had made the walls higher. And that's, so that's, and that's the case here. Now, um, the Tanya, Tanya, didn't we learn? Uh, oh, oh, now, I'm right. So there's a different version. Some brought this from the outset, outset as a contradiction. That our Mishnah says that if you dig in a pile to make a sukkah, it's not good. And a Brighter says it is good. That it depends. If from the beginning that pile of leaves had a height, an air, there was an air pocket in there of a tefach that extended seven tefachim, so there was something considered an oil already, and you're just expanding it, then it's okay. But if it had nothing at all, it was solid before, and you dug it out, so then it wouldn't be okay. Now, in other words, in this version, hold on, in this version, in this version, 
The, the difference between the first version and the second version is in the first version, Rav Huna just came and said a qualification of the Mishnah, and then they said, oh, that's supported by the existence of this Braita, that there is a case that's an exception to the Mishnah. In the second version, somebody noticed the contradiction between the Mishnah and the Braita, and Rav Huna came and answered it with his, with his distinction. And how would you know? Because you would see that there's, a little, it's, it, that there's a little thing in there. In other words, you would have to be able to tell. So another, you look at it, and there's a little part at the bottom that there's an air pocket that extends in. That's, it's off the ground. So you, you would see it. If you don't know, then if you can't, you can't see to the center of the, uh, of the thing. So it must be that you're seeing on the outside that there's an area already, let's say it's extended. It extends in seven tzvachim, it's off the ground. So then you would see that it, you would be able to, in other words, the pile could be such that there is a, an opening. There's an opening in part of it that underneath on the bottom that it comes around like this. Yeah. Yeah. And seven tzvachim in. So it could be. It wouldn't be so. It wouldn't be so impossible. Now it says, "Hamishal shil defanot." The Mishnah says, "If somebody lowers walls, mile malale mata." In other words, he starts making the wall from above and he goes downwards, working downwards, right? If it doesn't reach within three tvachim of the ground, then it's pasul. It leaves a space of three tvachim from the ground. It's no good. If you start from the ground and you go up, then as soon as you hit ten tvachim, it's good, even if it doesn't reach the schach. In other words, if you have tall poles and the walls start from the ground. But they don't reach the schach, that's okay. But if you start from the top and you go downwards and you don't reach the ground, the floating mechitza is not okay. Mechitza that's not tall enough is okay. It doesn't have to reach the schach as long as the schach is suspended by something high. Right? But it doesn't have to reach there. However, no. But Rabbi Yossi said, no, no, never. So Rabbi Yossi says, because you can have a tent of a wall and you can have poles that hold the schach much higher. It's fine. That's fine. They have to be aligned, but they don't have to be. On, they don't have to touch each other. So if you have a structure which is coming from the side, two, two long poles stretching from building. If it's a half on top, and at the bottom you put like a ten tefach walls, you're fine. That's all right. What's wrong with that? That would be good. They have to be aligned. In other words, the walls have to be under the schach, lined up, so that if so that if you lowered it, it would rest on. Right. In imagination. That doesn't that that only works when you have something there. But if it's like if the walls are under the air, there's nothing to bend them in. You know what I'm saying? Um, so Rabbi Yossi says, "Kishem lemata lemala asarat fachim kach lemata asarat fachim." Rabbi Yossi says, "I'm just a I just go, I'm a simple man. Ten fachim is a wall. Whether it's suspended from the sky going downwards or it's from the ground going upwards, once you have ten fachim, it doesn't matter if there's space between the." bottom of the wall and the ground. It doesn't matter if there's space between the top of the wall and the schach. In other words, he's saying, once you have ten fachim, I don't care if it's suspended in midair, and I don't care if it's coming up from the ground and it only reaches ten fachim. Ten fachim is a wall. So the chidush is that according to Rabbi Yossi, if you started weaving, let's say, the wall from the top, and you came down and there was ten fachim, even though there's five more fachim to get to the ground, he would say, that's a wall, ten fachim, no problem. Hold on, what? It doesn't matter, he doesn't care. Right, he calls it... It's ten tfachim of wall, but it's three. It's more than three tfachim from the ground. Meaning, it's yeah. Somebody could walk under there. Any raccoon will be very happy around here, right? But it doesn't matter because he says once you have once you right. Oh no, it's not the halacha. The halacha is not like Rabbi Yossi. It has to be within three tfachim of the ground. I'm saying Rabbi Yossi says once you have once you have walls, you have walls. That's it. Now the Gemara says, "B'maika mipalgi morzav amachitzatu yamateret morzav amachitzatu yamateret." The machloket is: Does a hanging wall count? Does it create? Does it define space or not? If it's if it's floating in the air, we learned over there. Boshe ben shtechatzerot and malin mena b'shabat. We learned about this before. That if you have a water hole between two chatzerot, that you can't 
take from it on Shabbat. Either one can't, meaning either chatzir cannot, because they don't have an erovei chatzirot with each other, so they cannot share the water, because the water belongs to both of them, and they have no erovei chatzirot, so it's like you're taking from one chatzir into the other without an erovei chatzirot, so it would be a problem, right? So the only possibility is if you make a dividing wall in between the water, that ha- this side of the water belongs to chatzir A, this and this, ch- <laughs> right, over the water, right? You, meaning if you have an overhang, that you're, gain, you're getting the water from it. Okay? In other words, you, how are you getting the water from it? The divider has to lower. Right? But the question is, how far does it have to lower? Okay? So, ben milemala, ben milemata. In other words, if there's a divider in the water itself that comes up, meaning from the bottom, you made a, a, a wall in the actual water that comes up, that would work. And if you suspend it from above, that also works. Right? Ben betoch ogno. Or if it goes um, into the... Um, into the uh, lip of the uh, uh, of the. In other words, if it extends from above and it goes into the uh, where the lip of the uh, of the opening is, right? You have sister. And I don't have to divide all the way through, right? So that's why it's saying ben b'lamata ben b'lamata ben b'toch ogno. Even you know, even if it's something that uh, uh, that that divides, you know, in it goes from one side to the other inside the uh, inside the cistern. Right across, but it doesn't touch the water. Doesn't matter. Okay. Rabban Shemov and Gamliel Omer, Beit Shammai Omrim Milemala, Beit Yilom Milemata. That Beit we learned about this in Masachet Eruvin. That Beit Shammai says that it has to come Milemala. In other words, the wall has to be something that you can see and that comes up from above and goes down. Right. And Tosfot says that actually in Masachet Eruvin it's the opposite. It says the opposite. It attributes the opposite opinions to Beit Shammai and Beit Yilom, but it doesn't matter. Beit Yilom says Milemata. No, it has to come from the ground, from the sea, from from the actual water and come up. Right. Either way, the point is what Amar Biuda Lot, and then and then Rabbi Yudah says Lot emachitzak dolam in a kotel shebenehen that the machit that this this shouldn't be any different than a uh, than the wall in between them. In other words, if you already have an overhang, what do you need this wall to divide the water? You have from chater a um, an overhang that extends across over the water that allows you to bring water up from it, and we assume that that ledge is ten tefachim. Let's say. And then you have on the other chatzir some kind of an extension overhang that allows you to draw water that also extends and, and that's considered a wall on that side. Why is that not enough of a wall? It's above the water and you just imagine that it's, you know, in your imagination extended downwards and it divides over the water. So what's the problem? So why do you need an extra, uh, an extra wall? Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yehuda, Bishitat Rabbi Yossi, Amar. Obviously, Rabbi Yehuda is agreeing with Rabbi Yossi. That, uh, that he says that this floating mechitza works because he's saying that this overhang should be enough to be considered a hanging wall over the water. It doesn't matter if it extends downward and actually comes near the water or not. Right. It doesn't have to. Right. Right. It's in the sky. You don't. You don't have to. Right. You're standing on an elevated place, obviously, if you're taking the water. You have in front of you a ledge or something, a wall goes down. It doesn't have to go down to where the water is, as long as that ledge that goes down is actually ten tefachim. So it has to go ten tefachim No, it doesn't have to. That's the point. It just has to be ten tefachim. The ledge just has to be ten tefachim, according to Rabbi Yossi. It doesn't matter how close it is to the ground, how high it is, as long as there's a ten thing, that's it. That's the chidush. Well, it doesn't have to come near the water, according to Rabbi. According to according to what Beit Tilel and Beit Shammai are saying, it has to be um, closer to the water. It has to like I enter into the uh, cistern uh, lip or but. This this 
this has to be tent of Ochim and doesn't, doesn't it doesn't need, have to come near. Doesn't need to go that's to according. That's milimata, huh? yeah. right? In other words, that's this partition bottom. has to be is is you know milimala milimata. It has to, but it's 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 near the water, right? Yeah. This is. So either this is a, this is an this is would be the case that we're talking about that it's not uh, it's not touching the water because the water right well, it goes inside right the pool. it's inside right it goes inside the pool oh I see yeah that's betoch ogno right so the, the point is that you have three possibilities one is that it's coming from inside the water one is that it's above the water and one is that it's inside the lip of the thing right but in all cases it's close to the cistern. Yeah. Right, it's close to it. But Rabbi Yehuda is saying it doesn't have to even be close. Even the person who's in a, an elevated thing that's way above the cistern, since the wall in front of, that he's standing on, let's say a balcony, it's ten t'vachim, it doesn't matter that the water's all the way below, it divides in the middle of the water. That's all. Yeah, exactly. That's it. It doesn't matter. Right, it will allow me to take water from my side because my side is divided from your side. Okay, so but it, so it sounds like Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Yehuda agree, but it says Veloi, it's not true. Rabbi Yehuda, Losa, Rabbi Yehuda, Savalak Rabbi Yossi, Velo Rabbi Yossi, Savalak Rabbi Yehuda, they actually don't agree. Lo Rabbi Yehuda, Savalak Rabbi Yossi, Adkan no Kam Rabbi Yehuda, Hatam Elabeuve Chatzerot Rabbanat, because that whole issue with the division of water is all a rabbinic rule that Eruve Chatzerot that we can't share the same water because we're in different Chatzerot is rabbinic. So therefore, he's lenient about an, a suspended wall of Alachasuka. Low, but when it comes to sukkah, where it's, an, it's a matter of a biblical mitzvah of whether the sukkah is kasher or not, there you have to have walls that reach the ground. And lo kama Rabbi Yossi, similarly, velo Rabbi Yossi savalak Rabbi Yehuda, and Rabbi Yossi doesn't agree with Rabbi Yehuda because I can't lo kama Rabbi Yossi achayla besukkah the mitzvah to say aval Shabbat isros kila lo. But Rabbi Yossi, when it comes to hilchot Shabbat, would not be so lenient. In other words, you could argue, even though one is, even though this halachah Shabbat erovech hatzorot is only rabbinic, the concept of Shabbat is an, is a very serious capital punishment isur. So even though this particular application is not hilchot Shabbat is very strict. And therefore, Rabbi Yossi might say, no, my whole idea about the suspended mechitza, I only said that about making a sukkah, but you can't use that and, and rely on that for any halachot of Shabbat. Right? So th- that's where... There are two cases, and the question is, does the fact that... The question... Allowing the suspended mechitza to determine what's going on below. These are the two cases. The question is, what Rabbi Yehuda says about the water, does that necessarily mean he agrees about the sukkah? Does what Rabbi Yossi say about the sukkah necessarily means he agrees about the water? They're saying no. Because Rabbi Yossi will tell you, I only said this about sukkah. I didn't say it about uh, the water because the water is dealing with Hilchot Shabbat. It's too strict. Right? And Rabbi Yehuda is saying, this is only the Rabbanan. But the Oraita, sukkah, it has to be more strict. So, right, they, they would flip, they could flip sides on the issue. We can't use the argument because they're two different issues, right? But what about the story that happened in Tzipori? Whose opinion? We're going to see. Right? It doesn't work according to Rabbi Yossi or according to Rabbi Yishmael, but rather, because Tzipori was the neighborhood of Rabbi Yossi and there was a situation there where they used it suspended mechitot on Shabbat. And you're telling me that Rabbi Yossi wouldn't agree with it on Shabbat. So how come they did it? What was the story? Well, once they forgot to bring the Sefer Torah to the place to read it on Shabbat, they forgot an Arab Shabbat, and they had an area that didn't have an Eruv. So what did they do? Probably, yeah. They created a Mechitza, basically, with these walls, and they made an area, they enclosed the area, and allowed people to carry the Sefer Torah on Shabbat. 
Right, but wait a second. Do you really think that they that that they made it on Shabbat? How could they have brought those items on Shabbat to begin with to make it? Rather, they found something on the ground. They found like something like that set up where there there were um, where uh, there were clo- there was cloth extended from pole to pole uh, to make walls, and they put that as the wall. And, and apparently that was a case where these, uh, the walls did not reach the ground. They did not reach within three tochim of the ground and they still allowed it. It wasn't Rabbi Yossi, it was Rabbi Ishmael, but Rabbi Yossi. So Rabbi Ishmael, but Rabbi Yossi maintains, presumably he agrees with his father that it works for sukkah as well. And he applies it to uh, Hilchot Shabbat. Rabbi Yossi was more conservative about that. He didn't apply it to Hilchot Shabbat. Rabbi Yehuda, who applied it to a Dirabanan, may not apply it to a Deoraita. Now, Amar Avchizda, Amar Avimi, Machatelet, Arba Umashu, Mater Basukah. You could create a wall of a sukkah with a, with a mat that is only four tfachim and a little bit more. How so? Mishum dofen. You could use that as a wall. Hechi avid. Talele be'emtza. B'chol b'shoshal al-mata. B'chol b'shoshal al-mala. B'chol b'chol b'shoshal kilavud dame. Very simple. You have your schach up here at the ten tefach line. Okay? You put your four and a little bit more tefach mats across. Right? Meaning you, you put it as a wall where the, it's the, the height of this mat is four and a little bit more tfachim. So it's within three... No, no, it's four and a little bit more. So the, the, the wall has to be ten. So since it's within three tfachim of the ground, from the bottom of the, from the ground until the top of the mat will be seven tfachim total because it has to be a little bit less than three tfachim above the ground and a little bit less than three tfachim from the, from the schach and we can consider it a ten tefach wall just based upon that. Right, right even though it's not literally ten tfachim. Right, there's actually only four and a little bit more tfachim of substance, but because it's in the middle, you put, you attached it to two poles, less than three tfachim from the bottom, less than three tfachim from the top, it ends up being a wall, right? And because lavud. So it says, Shita, that's obvious. We have the idea of lavud already. Maybe you would have thought that you can only use one lavud at a time. What is it? You're going to make, how many empty spaces are you going to close? You're going to say that it's sealed with what's above and below. Maybe you would think that's too much. Lavud means we close anything less than three tfachim and we consider it not a space. We consider it connected. That's lavud, right? So it's saying that you would think that you can only do that either from the top to the bottom or from the, from below to above. But you can't do both. You're going to close 2.9, yeah, two, imaginary enclosure. You're going to say 2.9 tfachim up and 2.9 tfachim. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's, this one I could visualize. This one's easier. Right? 10.9, 2.9 to, 2.9 up, 2.9 Fahim down. You can do both of them. Now it says, now it says, We learned that no, it has to be seven and a little bit more for a sukkah. For a walk. That's talking about a large sukkah. So in a large sukkah, since it's too high, you're not going to say two lavud situations. You're only going to have one, which is from the ground to the beginning of the wall. Right? In other words, you can't, what, what the chidush of Avchisna was that you need a 10 tefach wall. You're using the schach as the top of the wall. And you're using the ground as the bottom of the wall. And you're closing those gaps. But if the sukkah is very tall, the schach is very high, you can't use the lavud on top. So you'll only have the four and something tefach mat. And the ground, you could close the gap on the ground, but what about going up? It won't work. Right, so that's why here you need seven and a little bit more, because then with seven and a little bit more, you can use the ground. You do it within the height of the ground, right? 
right, the three and below, yeah, yeah. right? And, uh, and, and the seven, and, uh, it always says seven and mashu because it can't actually be three tvachim above. It has to be less than three tvachim above the ground for it to count as lavud, to close the gap. It has to be less. That's why it says mashu, a little bit more, right? Because if it were exactly seven and you had exactly three tvachim between the ground and the matter, it would not be good. Because three tvachim is no good. It has to be 2.9 uh, so therefore, you, you, there you would, you would close, now you're not closing the gap above, you're only closing the gap below in that case, right? So it says, that's the sukkah gula, umayka mashmalan, the mishalshalin defanot, milemala lemata, kurebiyosi. So the implicate, the chidush is that you can hang, uh, walls from top to bottom like Rabbi In other words, the, that we can interpret, they're interpreting this teaching right now as not like I just said, that it's the bottom that you're closing the gap, but the top that you're closing the gap actually. Like Rabbi Yossi says that you can start, for, what? Right, that it's close to the schach and it's very tall, so you still need 10 tfachim, so therefore the mat would have to be 7.5. One tfachim to, and it's within three tfachim of the roof. And this is Rabbi Yossi actually, it's hanging down, not up like I was saying before. Right? So, uh, and that would be Rabbi Yossi. Um, so it actually would work either direction, obviously. But, uh, but they're saying that the, he's, the fact that he doesn't qualify either direction and he's saying out of seven and a, a little bit more tfachim, you can make a, uh, can make a wall. He meant either direction, not, um, not necessarily, meaning if either gap is, is not closable, then you can make it whether it's from the top or from the bottom. Am Rabbi Ami pas arba'u mashu matir basukam shum dofen umokim la pachot mishloshat vachim samuch dofen koch pachot mishloshat samuch dofen kelavud dame. Now this is talking about something else, not the height of the wall, but the width of the wall. In other words, you need to make it seven tvachim wide, minimum seven tvachim wide, right? Ten tvachim tall, seven tvachim wide. So if you have, let's say, uh, two walls already, and you want to make a third wall. Right? Or whatever. So what you do is, you, let's say over here, you can put a four and a little bit more tefach wall, width, width-wise, and you put it within three tefachim, two, at 2.9 tefachim distance from the wall that exists, so that the gap is considered closed. So now, magically, that wall, cre- it becomes a seven tefach wall. Because it's within. So in other words, the point is that not only vertically does the idea of lavud work in the sukkah, but also horizontally it will work to close the gap on the side. So what's the chidush here? We already know the idea of lavud. How many times do we have to learn it? The reason why they gave that example wasn't actually to teach you about lavud, because we know about lavud already, that you can close gaps that are less than three tfachim. The purpose of that was to teach you the length of the sukkah, because it mentions the numbers that you need a, a board or mat or whatever that is four plus tfachim within three tfachim of the wall next to it. And that way you create a, uh, a lavud horizontally. And, I, and in theory, you could also obviously create two horizontal uh, lavud situations if you needed to, because we learned that you can do it on both sides. You can burn the candle at both ends or, or close the gap on both one, ends. I thought even one tefach you're allowed to do. What do you mean? As the, as the third wall. Usually, it, it depends on the case, but like if you have two parallel walls, for example, so you have to make, um, you can make a, uh, uh, you have to have a, what they normally do is they make a um, four tefach, they make a four, they make a in that case, if it's, right, right, horizontal, right. If, if, it's if it's parallel. Right. If you're making the third wall, so they, they would make a four tefach piece and a, uh, 
and a uh, Tzorat HaPetach also. I mean, we discussed the whole question. Do you need a Tzorat HaPetach if you do that? If it's, if it's an L-shape, do you not need a Tzorat HaPetach in that case? That was a whole discussion. But, you know, but definitely it's considered a solid wall to do that. So if you had an L-shape and you just wanted to make it a little bit on the other side, you could put a four Tzorat It's considered a three walls in that case. But on balcony, where 